0: Um, my opportunity to say good morning, welcome to Ebenezer, and welcome to our Sunday morning worship service. Of course, to those who are here in the building, always a delight to be able to see you, uh, not just on Sunday morning, but at at any time. And for those who are online, thank you for uh, making us a, a part of your day. If you don't know me, my name is Cal. I'm part of the staff team here. And it's my joy and privilege to... Uh, to kind of walk us through another passage in God's Word this morning. But before I get into that, I just want to quickly comment that, you know, what a great kickoff service we had last week, eh? If you were here, um, I don't know about you, but I just, there was this unique energy in the building that maybe we haven't felt for quite some time, Uh, maybe because of the pandemic, maybe for other reasons. But I just want to say I had a wonderful time at last week's kickoff service. Um, We had fun, we laughed, it was great to have our partner congregations, you know, kind of among us in different rooms, but uh, to have them fully participate with us. Um, it was, again, great to hear testimony of God's uh, work in lives as, as a couple people were baptized. And of course, we had a chance to share a meal together as well. And those are always highlights uh, of the year. Now, one of the things we tried to do during the first Sunday or the first uh, Sunday, uh, the two, first two Sundays of September. Uh, what we call our ministry year is really set a, a theme and a, a tone for, for what our focus is going to be in this upcoming year. So, if you are new or if you are new here and, and you're newer or new to the Ebenezer family, we, we kind of want you to get to know who we are. Uh, we want you to understand what we value and, and kind of the direction that we're going. We want you to get a glimpse of our culture uh, as, as a group of people, as, as, a, as a local church body. And we're trying to to help you understand what our mission and vision is, not just for us as Ebenezer, but for the city of Saskatoon or the province of Saskatchewan or or even beyond that. Now, if Ebenezer is your church home, then we want to remind you of these things, and and we want to create some some excitement and some energy and, and even some anticipation about where we sense God is leading us. Last week, Pastor Layton got our year started with a message focused on what Jesus calls the greatest, the two greatest commands in Scripture. According to Jesus, the two greatest commands in all of Scripture are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But not only did Jesus say these were the greatest commands, he wasn't putting the commands in some kind of order to say, okay, these are the number two, the, the number one and number two uh, commands. He actually said, all of the commands, whether they, and at that time he would have been referring to the Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, the historical books, and the uh, prophets. He said, actually, everything that's written in Scripture can be summed up with these two commands Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I like the way Pastor Layton expressed it. He said that Jesus simplifies the things that man makes complicated. Jesus simplifies the things that man may complicated. Now, our prayer has always been that we as a church, as a church family, as a local church body, as his people, we would be characterized by these two simple yet incredibly profound and impactful commands. In fact, the essence of becoming like Christ, you may have heard that phrase uh, in, in Christian circles, the essence of becoming like Christ is really to be able to live these two commands fully in our lives. And the pathway towards becoming like Christ or Christ-likeness is really what we call discipleship. Discipleship is the journey by which we become more and more like Christ, by which we become more and more able to live these two commands in all of its fullness. So This morning, I want to continue just on that greater theme of discipleship, and share with you another key area of focus that you will hear more about uh, in this coming year. You see, discipleship must be at the heart of why we exist as a church. Discipleship must be the very center of everything we do. Just, Just before Jesus left this earth, he said to his disciples, and in extension to us, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The command in this passage is the make disciples part. To therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, if we call ourselves a church, and yet discipleship is not at our very core, can we really call ourselves God's church? Or have we become something else? I guess that's kind of the question I want to begin with this morning. Are we truly a disciple-making church? Or have we drifted what some experts would call mission drift? Have we drifted from what Jesus calls us to be and the things that Jesus calls us to do? See, even about a year, between a year and two years before the pandemic came, we as a staff asked this most important of questions. Is Ebenezer a disciple-making, a discipling church? Well, we shared what we thought. And we certainly recognized that God was using us and we were making disciples, but but we wanted to go deeper than that. Do we truly have a disciple-making culture here? And we were a little bit all over the place as we shared our own feelings and thoughts on that question then two and a half years ago the pandemic hit and as we've said from up front or actually from online right ways the pandemic exposed things about who we are as a church but what kind of culture we have the things that we valued and the things that we did and so once again we were forced to ask Are we truly a disciple-making church? Have we grown a discipling culture here where disciple-making and discipleship are our priorities? Maybe we need to back up first. Maybe we need to begin with the question, what is the church? What is the church? See, I wonder if we haven't wandered even from... Uh, understanding and a practice of the basic definition of the church. Let me see if I can illustrate what I mean. Let's say you go home this afternoon and a neighbor or a classmate or a co-worker or a friend who doesn't necessarily come to a a place on Sunday mornings, say, well, what did you do this morning? I think most of us would respond with, oh, I went to church. For those of you who are in CNC, if someone came up to you and said, Hey, you know what? I know you guys play volleyball on Wednesday nights. Where do you play? You'd probably say, Oh, well, we play at the church. You see, for whatever reason, we're all kind of drawn into this definition of church as either our Sunday morning worship services, this physical building at 107 McWillie Avenue, or some of our programs and ministries that we try to offer. But I would bet when I present the question to you in this way, we all recognize, at least in our heads, that we know that that's not what the church is. But our language sometimes reveals what's really inside, what our our true understanding is. And so we define church, or we express, or we use the word church primarily in these ways. Where'd you go Sunday morning? I went to church. Where should I meet you? Let's meet at the church. So on and so forth. And because we've defined church in these and other incorrect ways, then usually our energies are put into growing those things that we define the church to be, our Sunday morning services, expanding our building, and, and, and some of our programs. During my sabbatical leave, I had the opportunity to attend many and several, several and many different church services, and some of them were kind of chosen for specific reasons. Now, it's not my, my intention here by any means to judge or to criticize what those other ministries were doing. And I realized that my picture of what their ministries were cannot be uh, fairly encapsulated in an hour to an hour and a half Sunday morning service. Okay, so I, I totally understand that. But I would just say that in, my, in, in these opportunities, my observation was this. It seemed to me that most of those ministries... Put a lot of effort, and time, and resources into their Sunday worship service. LED lights, spotlights in some cases, shining ceilings, smoke. They had like you know fog machines, bringing up fog so that the lights had something to bounce off of. These hip and happening worship teams. Now she's as hip and happening as they come, but. There seemed to be a little bit more emphasis on on that and and even the way the, the, the those who are on stage they dressed, including the speaker or the pastor or whoever happened to be delivering the message that morning you know in four months, I saw more skinny jeans and hoodies and ball caps on stage than I probably have ever seen in my entire life on a stage you see again, I'm not trying to judge or criticize, but if we think that's what church is, then of course we're going to, to invest and try to build it in, in that way. You it wasn't that long ago, I know I was earlier in my ministry, but it wasn't that long ago that someone said that, you know, all you need to build a large, well-attended church are three things. Charismatic speaker, a hot worship team, I mean, like, you know, like in the rhythm and all that. All well, that? You know, I didn't put that in here, so I just... Uh, a rock and worship team, and great children and youth ministries. And some would add clean bathrooms and good parking, but, you know, you get what I'm saying. Perhaps, I wonder, and this is a question I, I ask, have we gotten so consumed with building a church that we've lost sight of our call to make disciples? Mike Breen said that if you make disciples, you will always get a church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples, and that's, again, based on a faulty understanding and definition of church, the one that we've generally seemed to accept. I go back to Pastor Leighton's question, have we made complicated what God actually wants to keep simple? The great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it even more bluntly, kind of slaps you in the face with his statements. He said that Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. He goes on to say, cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. you know, the best and really the only way to get back to the heart of the church is to turn to Scripture. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I'll be reading from 42 to uh, forty-two to 47. Follow along as I read for us. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. And here Luke writes as a description of the early church, He says, they committed themselves, the church committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe, all those wonders and signs done through the apostles, and all the believers lived in a wonderful, lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. And I've gotten ahead of myself because I wanted to read it from the New International Version first, so I'm going to go back to that, sorry, back to verse 42 from the New International Version. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. When I read a passage like this, if I'm not doing well in terms of God's called for ministry to me or I'm questioning things, I read a passage like this and, and the possibilities just jump into my head. All the what if, what if, or would God, would He do this? and what if, The potential that's, that's there for, for us as an Ebenezer church family. This is absolutely beautiful. I'm amazed at the impact that this small, fledgling young group of Christ followers had in the world around them. Imagine every day having new Christ followers commit themselves to Jesus, follow his path, and new disciples being added to their number every day. Now, while that's exciting, I I don't know if our priority should be to zoom in on the numerical growth and the numerical results that the early church experienced. Not that that's bad, but I don't think that should be our primary goal or objective. Here's one of the reasons why. First, notice that it was the Lord who added daily to their number with the Lord. See, only God can change a heart. Only God can move in someone's heart to take a life that's walking away from him and turn it around and and walk back. We can support, we can encourage, we we can do what we can, but ultimately it has to be God that makes a change. We just heard a testimony of that from Lola, right? It was God who worked in our heart through Pastor, or through a message, but it was God that had to do the work in order to turn her life around and get her walking back toward God. And that's really what it is. We cannot force anyone to follow us or even logically argue them to to become a a Christ follower. So we shouldn't focus on the numbers and think that, oh, all we need are more numbers of Christ followers and then we'll be good. The other thing I want us to remind us of is that I don't think our primary goal should either be to focus on the, the things that the church did. See, often we read a passage like this and we focus on the, the four things, the four devotions of the early church, right? And, and that's not bad. Again, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But we look at it and we say, well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. So if we do the same things, then maybe we'll see the same results that they did. I, I, I'm not sure that that's the way we should approach it. You see, when I read a passage like this, what I read first is who the church was and then from that, they, they started to do things, and then from that, God added to their numbers. These devotions are absolutely necessary and important expressions of the church. But what the early church did was a natural outflow of understanding who they were. So first, we need to be what the early church was, or we need to be what, the, what God calls us to be as a church, and then we can do the things that God called us to do as a church. And when we do so, I think we can trust that God then will work and add to our numbers. Like, Pastor, again, going back to Pastor Layton, let's keep it simple. So, what was the characteristic of the early church? What was the, I would say, the defining characteristic of the early church? And it's simply this the church was a true community, the church was a true community. A true community, or I would say, and more specifically, this is my discipleship, ABC, is that the church was an authentic biblical community. ABC. And both discipleship and the mission of God occur in the context of authentic biblical community. As it is through community, people grow and mature in their faith, and it is through community that others come to know and follow Jesus, as they see the fullness of the gospel come alive in every area of life. Gentleman by the name of Caesar Kalinowski, someone I'm currently in a coaching program with, and he says this he says, The gospel moves along the pathways of trust, and the kingdom of God expands at the speed of relationship. In other words, community is the context of both discipleship and mission. I already started, but let me reread this passage from the message, and let me actually just jump down to the end, because you already heard most of it. I'll just start at verse 46, and from the message, it it expresses it this way, it says, "...they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God, and people in general liked what they saw, and every day their numbers grew as God added to those who were saved." Do you hear that? People who are not yet Christ followers liked what they saw. They saw this group of people living in authentic biblical community, growing and maturing in their faith, and through that they were drawn to Jesus Christ. Now, I I fully understand that the world we live in and the culture that we live in today, especially here in North America, I'm going to make reference to North American culture quite a bit here, is very different from the world and culture of the early church. See, we face tremendous obstacles when it comes to being community and building the kind of authentic biblical community practiced by the New Testament church and experienced by the people around them in that day. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean I think we shouldn't try. Or we shouldn't shift our thinking and our practices in order to try to move toward that. Nor should it discourage us, nor should it discourage us from even taking that step of faith forward. Now, we're, we'll talk more on that another time. In fact, I would suggest that those questions that, 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 that I posed to you just now could be a discussion you have with those around you, more so than something that, that someone from up front speaks about. What are the challenges we face as a, in our culture to really moving, to, to really helping us move toward biblical community? That was the jumble sentence. How can we do that? How can we overcome? And those are, those are conversations I, w- I would encourage you to have. But I do want to speak briefly to two main issues that the church in North America faces, and those are the challenges of individualism and consumerism, and why these are huge obstacles to building true biblical community. Individualism is simply the focus, including our priorities and desires and goals, on oneself. It means you see yourself as the most important. North American worldviews and culture and values quite obviously center on individualism. But individualism has also become a value of the North American church. And we are not exempt from that problem. You see, most often we preach a salvation centered on a gospel that teaches about a personal salvation without recognizing that God's plan is actually the renewal and restoration of all of creation. And he's chosen the church to to carry out that mission. Ray Dirksen from Church Renewal, Pastor Layton is a part of his coaching uh, circle, and most of the staff, I believe, have attended um, the Church Renewal Conference, of which uh, some of this is talked about. So the founder of Church Renewal, Ray Dirksen, makes these statements about individualism in the church. And I'm not quoting him, but I'll just try to summarize some of his thoughts. He says things like, we believe that being a Christian is about me believing in Jesus, and there's little need for the community and fellowship of others, or at best, it's an option. Along with that, we have the mindset of, as long as I have Jesus, I don't need the church. And we saw that during the pandemic when we were isolated from being able to gather with each other. But even as things have come, we said, well, you know, my faith is about me and Jesus or maybe just my family. And so I don't necessarily need to come back to, to a community of, of believers because that's just optional if I have time or if I'm so inclined to do so. Along with that, we often sing worship songs that contain an imbalance of the words I and me, and not so much us and we. And all of these things, along with other factors, have undermined what is really a theology of community. And that's one thing I want to bring out as, you know, for us in, in the minutes I have remaining here, is that community isn't just a good idea that God had. It would be nice if you guys got together more often. That would be a good idea if you guys gathered once in a while and at least got to know one another. No, there's that actual theology of community or theology of togetherness that is deeply embedded in Scripture. And individualism actually undermines all of that. And individualism in the church then works against our ability to become an authentic biblical community. So individualism is the first enemy. Consumerism is the second. And consumerism is simply the desire or even the obsession to get what you want and what you think will satisfy the expression used to be keeping up with the Joneses. So if, you got a, if they got a car, then you needed a new car. If they bought a bigger house, you needed a bigger house. If they bought a boat, you had to get a boat. If they dressed a certain way, you know, there was this ongoing cycle of, of not being satisfied with what you have, and that's a consumerist mindset. And this philosophy of life also has its fingerprints all over the North American church. See, if you don't like this church, you can always go to the one down the block. If I for whatever reason, offend you or say something from the front you don't agree with, well, I'll go to another church that will say the things I want to hear. If this church, I don't like the music, I'll go to another one. If this church is cooler or hipper, I'm going to go there. So Pastor Wes is going to start wearing skinny jeans starting next week, I think. No. I don't know, are you? I shouldn't, yeah. That's not a commitment, so... I mean, okay, I get it. There are reasons why sometimes it is appropriate and maybe even necessary to move from one church family to, to another, and, and, and I get that, but it, the consumerist mindset says, you know, I can just go if I don't like something or if I see something better somewhere else. You see, consumer mindset never allows us to deal with the disagreements we, we may have. Consumer mindset doesn't allow us then to work through the issues and problems or to even recognize times when we're wrong. Consumerism means we never work through our differences. Consumerism means we never work and we never deal with and experience the, the sweetness of what it means to repent and to forgive one another. Individualism and consumerism are true enemies of authentic biblical community. So as we enter our ministry year, one of our key areas of focus as we seek to build a true discipling culture will be to grow in these authentic biblical communities because discipleship happens in the context of community and God's mission grows through community. So for this morning, I want to focus on just two things. First, why? Why community? Why has God called us to community? And second, to suggest just a few ideas of how we may begin to shift what we currently think is community or what we currently practice as community and move toward a more authentic biblical community that God calls us to. So first, why community? Why is community to be the key characteristic of the church? Three reasons I want to share with you. First, community is a central characteristic of God's nature. Community is a central is the central characteristic of God's nature. One of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith is that, the, is that God is a trinity. He's a triune God. He's revealed himself to be three in one. God the trinity consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each person of the trinity, while separate and unique, and they, while they play different roles within the Godhead, form together one God. Right from the beginning of creation in Genesis 1, It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's the indication of two of the three members of the Godhead. When man was created, God said in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So in the plurality, he didn't say, let's make mankind in my image. He said, in our image. And then Jesus himself said in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. And there's many other scriptures that that draw this out, but we have to recognize that the very nature, the characteristic of God's nature is community. He exists as three in one. Community is a central characteristic of God's nature. Second, community is a central need of God's people. Because we are created in the image of God, we also need to be in relationship and community with others. This is, now, this is true of all humans, of course, like not just those who have accepted Christ. This is true of all humans. In fact, they say one of the, mo- the harshest penalties for a crime that someone can, uh, can be given is not just to go to jail, but if you're in prison, to be sent to solitary confinement. Because being alone without any human interaction is one of the harshest things to humankind. So we recognize that. But as Christ followers, we need to be especially aware of this need. Again, if we go back to the creation story, God created Adam and very quickly recognized, according to Genesis 2 or 18, that it is not good for Adam to be alone. Now, I recognize that in this context, he's talking more about this marriage and and, and spousal relationship that Adam had with uh, Eve, and, and so God created Eve, as Adam's perfect uh, partner and companion. But the whole idea that we need others is is, is part of how we were created. It's deeply embedded in us. We're only denying it if we feel that we don't or we, we don't build relationship with one another. God created us to need each other, and particularly he needed the family of God to need each other. Jesus says in John 15, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In Hebrews 10, we're exhorted to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, think pandemic, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You may be familiar with the dozens of one another commands for God's people, the church. And these one another commands aren't just nice things we should do for each other. Well, here's how we can be nice to one another and be polite and considerate. This reveals the essence of who we are, that we were created to be in community with one another. Community is the central need of God's people. And third, community is a central strategy of God's mission. Now, when I refer to God's mission, I'm not just thinking about evangelism. Sometimes we we have very... Limiting views of what the mission of God is. And somebody's like, well, that's just somebody like a Billy Graham in the old days or whoever it may be now, preaching the gospel and seeing of others would come. That's God's mission. It's part of God's mission, but it's incomplete if that's what we think that's God's mission. God's mission is really the reconciliation and restoration of all of creation back into harmony with Him before, like the way it was before sin entered the world. See, when sin entered the world, it caused and created separation between the Creator and the created. And God has invited and chosen to use us, his people, his church, to fulfill that mission. And the central strategy of that mission is the authentic community that we as Christ followers are supposed to be characterized by. Jesus said in John chapter 13, he says, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples. By what? If you have love for one another. It's not by if you preach good theology or you have good sermons. It's not if you have the best music on stage. It's not... If we just do nice things, but if we genuinely love each other and create this authentic community, then others will see and be drawn to that. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And of course, we began this message with. How, the, how community fulfills the mission of god as described in acts chapter 2. people liked what they saw when they saw this group of believers living in authentic biblical community because community is central is a central strategy of god's mission so why is community central why does it need to be the defining characteristic of us as this church because community is a central characteristic of god's nature because community is a central need of God's people. And because community is a central strategy of God's mission. As I mentioned, authentic biblical community is going to be a key focus. Maybe it's going to be the key focus as we seek to establish and grow what I would describe as a true discipling culture. And this goes far beyond an invitation to join a small group. That's not where I'm going with this. This isn't sign up for a small group, you know, advertising. Advertising. I believe that if we truly journey along this path, it's going to challenge us in ways that we may not expect. It's going to force us to think and ask questions about our current church culture and our practices and may even shake up what we think we value as a church. But I also believe that as authentic biblical community comes to define who we are as this local body we call Ebenezer, Authentic biblical community is how we will grow as disciples of Christ. And authentic biblical community is what others will be drawn to as we fulfill the mission of Christ. Let me close just by giving us three ways we can start making that shift towards authentic biblical community. It's kind of like uh, we need to start seeing things a little bit differently. Um, I have glasses of which if I do this, uh, I can't see you. Not quite literally, but I can see shapes. And so sometimes when I go to the eye doctor and I realize my glasses prescription is is no good anymore and I start to see blur, it's kind of like that. I think we need to see things through a bit of a different lens. So first, I think we need to learn to think with a community lens. Think with a community lens. Now, this might sound easy, but I actually think this is the most difficult because we have our own worldview and cultures and values working against us in this, particularly when I mentioned individualism. Because of our tendency and our cultural values, we see things through a lens of individualism, and we tend to see our faith in the same way. And we have to learn to see things from a community perspective. So, for instance, did you know that most of Scripture is written into a community context? The Old Testament, whether it's the Pentateuch of Moses, the historical books, or the prophets, were written to a nation, the nation of Israel. How many times in the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets, that God speaks to somebody and says, say this to the people? The New Testament, particularly the letters of the New Testament, were written to church communities. You see, if we don't take on the proper perspective of how we should be reading Scripture, and, and we read things from an individual point of view and not from a community point of view, we can it can severely warp what we understand a certain passage, or instruction, or truth to mean. Let me see. Again, yeah, let me see if I can illustrate this. On the screen, I've put up a few sets of. Uh, I'll just going to call them a set of words. Okay. Now, before you groan and walk out, just hold on. Play along with me here. Okay. I'm just going to call it that. There's a set of words up there. Now, here's what I want you to do individually. Don't you don't need to talk to each other, but individually. How would you punctuate this set of words? so that it makes sense? Go. Go ahead and do that, just, just in your mind. How would you punctuate that set of words so that it makes sense? Now, I don't know if it was a truly scientific study, but this example has been used a few times. Just to illustrate, I think, the point I'm trying to make is that when we don't have the right framework and we bring our own biases into a situation, we can really warp meaning. So I'm not gonna not trying to be sexist, but I think what they discovered is that when men took this set of words and punctuated it, this is what they came up with most of the time. A woman without her man is nothing. However, when women looked at this set of words and punctuated and put the punctuation in, this is what they came up with. A woman. Without her, man is nothing. <laughs> Hugely different meaning, drawn out from the same set of words, but read into with a completely different frame of mind. You see, when we read Scripture, because of our tendency in North America to read things from an individual perspective, we read things and interpret the, the truth and the lessons and the, and the instructions as individuals. But scripture was written in the context of community and we need to begin to start thinking in a communal way you know when the prophets announced the word of god to the people when the carriers of paul or peter or john's letters turned to the to the faith community in ephesus or or colossi or philippi or whatever and they read what was in the instructions there, i'm pretty sure that after a reading of Scripture, none of the people there would have gone, okay, now, what am I going to do with that? How do I apply this truth in my life? I would imagine and I would bet that after hearing instruction or truth from God, those believers would have looked to one another and said, what do we do with this? How are we going to live this out? What is this going to make in our lives as members of a community and a community of faith. I like the way Pastor West put it this week as we were in teaching team. He said, when Paul wrote his letters, he didn't have in mind an individual believer sitting in Starbucks doing their devotions. Paul wrote to community. And so when we read scripture and we understand scripture, we need to start thinking in a, from that lens of community. Second, not only do we need to think it with a community lens, we need to live with a community lens. And what I mean by that is we tend to live our lives as individuals or even as family units, but not much beyond that. Maybe we can start by asking questions like, how can I include others in my day-to-day activities of life? How can I you know, in, in, in get involved with others in their day-to-day areas of life? In what ways can I connect with others in love and care and service? How can I use my gifts to begin building authentic biblical community with others? How can I begin to live the gospel, the fullness of the gospel, not just in in my own individual life, but in in the lives of others? Live beyond your nuclear family. Go beyond the traditional small group mentality or the, the small group practice of we meet once a week or once every two weeks for a Bible study and potluck. And begin to live in ways that open up your life and your home to others around you. And include those who are in Christ and those who have not yet come to Christ. Third, we need to learn to love with a community lens. Who are those who are not yet believers who need Christ, the whole world needs Christ, that you have regular contact and relationship with? How can you include them in your authentic biblical community? How can you live in what I call an incarnational way? And that simply means that we recognize that we are image bearers of of God and of Jesus Christ, and we carry the good news uh, of of the gospel, and we need to go into the world. You see, the mentality of the church being a building or a place or a service is mean that they have to come into our world to hear the gospel, and yet God calls us and Jesus calls us to go into their world with the gospel. So how can we enter into their lives and learn to speak their language and meet them on their terms and in their places of comfort and their places where, you know, where we can build relationship with them, with others, and, and allow them to just simply experience. You know, th- this to me takes all the pressure off. Well, I'm not gifted as an evangelist or I don't really know much about apologetics. Uh, I- I'm not really that. Th- no, no, you just live it. But you live it openly in front of others. You proclaim it with the words and the experiences you have. That's why personal testimony is so powerful, because it's what God has done in your life, and you want to share that with others. Love others in word and deed, and let God do the rest. Remember, it is God who daily added to their number. We can allow God to do the same. Ashley, come on uh, back up with the worship team. Sorry, I've kind of gone on a little bit longer here. Last week, as part of our kickoff tradition, Pastor Layton asked us some live survey questions, and The results were very interesting. I mean, this is one of the ways we try to engage, have some fun, find out who's in the room, and in a way, get to know kind of who we are. But some of the questions are are very intentional, and and there was a couple of results from that survey that I wanted to to just draw our attention to. First, for one of the questions, I think it was about 20 to 25% of the respondents indicated that they felt they were stagnant or struggling in their walk with Jesus, or they were just simply disinterested at this point. And if that's where you are in your journey, that's okay. You know, we want we to we respect that. Another question showed that I think it was, again, about 20% of uh, those who answered, some of you are in this room, uh, indicated that you were, you do consider yourself a part of the Ebenezer family, but you feel very disengaged. And again, if that describes you, we, we honor that, that that's where you're at. And And I'm not going to try to propose a silver bullet solution, but perhaps one way you can begin to rediscover an exciting and a vibrant and a relevant relationship with Jesus, become more fully engaged, not just with the Ebenezer family, but with what God is doing and God's mission. Perhaps one of the ways you can see the excitement and joy of of God working in the lives of others around you and seeing others come to faith and and just that that pure, innocent uh, joy that comes from realizing how much Jesus loves them. Perhaps one of the ways we can make our faith more exciting, we can become more engaged and vibrant in our faith is simply by beginning to commit ourselves to authentic biblical community. Just start with that. Am I willing to engage with others and build the kind of community that is described in Acts chapter 2? And then can we allow God to do the rest? And now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice, we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we look forward to seeing you throughout the week, but certainly hopefully again together next week as we worship and celebrate together once again. Have a great day. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.